Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops, I'm your host, and today I'm excited to bring you an interview with uh, the author of Miami Burn, covers up on the on the uh, screen there. He is a pulp detective writer, John D. Patton. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much, Nathan. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's a lot of fun uh, getting to talk with you again. Of course, we were just hanging out recently at the Novel Sync Conference as many of us were, uh, and it was a pleasure meeting you. You came to Authors and Airplanes, which was wonderful. Um, nice to meet you there, and of course, you know, just out and about at the conference, and uh, I, I really yeah, enjoyed it. I have to compliment you and say that that, was, that experience was just so awesome, and it kicked off the conference in such a fantastic way. You know, having nothing to do with books necessarily, we're just up in the air flying over the resort, and you are an excellent pilot, I'm telling you. It was a, it was a really nice, nice, uh, Take in, and you know, next year I think you're going to need a bigger plane because word is out, and yeah. uh, more authors want to want to want to want to join us uh, now. So you know, you, you need like a 737, I think. So. <laughs> it definitely was a great turnout, and I am actually am looking into maybe doing a six seater next time around just to get a few more people in at once. And uh, huh? see, yeah, I was. Now, I love showing off the city, so I was, I was glad you came. Um, I'm excited to chat with you today about your series and your genre, and there's a lot of things we can talk about, but for people who aren't familiar with you, uh, could you talk a little bit about your um, series and what, what they can expect from your books? Uh, sure. Um, my books are, um, well, I guess the uh, the genre is Pulp Detective. That's that's something I'm testing out right now, but it's a hard-boiled uh, mystery is the category that I originally um, put my book in, as well as private investigators. Even though my character Titus is not a licensed private investigator, he's pretty much unemployed, and he just drifts from part-time job to part-time job. He's a bartender in one book, he's a limo driver in another book, but he ends up getting cases that um, people uh, need help with, and he uh, ends up saving some people who are in some pretty uh, dire circumstances. and. Uh, so the idea sort of came with, uh, from the old traditional private investigator novels, such as, uh, the Spencer series by Robert B. Parker, uh, Philip Marlowe, uh, the famous, uh, series by Raymond Chandler. And, uh, those were, uh, those were the kind of things I wanted to do. That was what I set out to do right away. I was like, I want to write a new modern anti-hero kind of private investigator with an edge, somebody who's written for the 21st century uh, that is not just some guy in an office with a cigar and a bottle of bourbon in the desk like Humphrey Bogart, but is updated for the modern world. And um, so I um, I forget the question. What was the question? That was a perfect answer, actually. <laughs> okay, so, good. Yeah. No, I think it's great. When I looked at your blog and looked at some pictures of um, what I guess is like your impersonation of Titus, some of the imagery and stuff you had going on there. I, in my mind, I saw some sort of combination between Burn Notice and um, like, I don't know if you watched um, Justified, like the, the Marshall that started out in Miami. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen a couple, but it was a long time ago. I don't really remember them too well. But, anyway, uh, it starts yeah, out in Miami. Yeah, so Miami is a, what's that? Yep, there was an element of that, uh, you know, justified that sort of tough guy who comes to this new town and he's a fish out of water 
Yeah. So there's definitely there's definitely some elements there. And Burn Notice, I was never a big Burn Notice fan, but uh, Miami Vice definitely. Uh, okay. There's a lot there's a lot of Miami Vice in what I do. Okay, that makes sense. And it yes, kind of so makes sense based on I, I would imagine your influences. You mentioned uh, Elmore Leonard as an influence, and um, Justify was actually based on a uh, a book. Um, I don't think it was Elmore Leonard, but it was. Actually, it may have, I think it may have I been. Think it was actually, yeah. Yeah, Fire in the Hole. Uh, yes. So that show was based on one of his books, so it kind of makes sense that your vibe goes with that. Yep, definitely. So you said you're playing around, experimenting with the idea of pulp uh, detective. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, back in the 1930s and 40s, uh, there were these magazines that uh, if, you, um, if you wanted to be a published novelist writing about uh, detectives, what uh, Raymond Chandler and... Uh, Dashiell Hammett and other authors at the time did was they wrote these incredibly uh, gritty short stories and they had to turn them out. They had to turn them out fast. They had to write one a week and they had to blast them into these magazines which were called pulp magazines. And the reason that they were called pulp magazines is because the uh, the pages of the magazines themselves were made from newspaper pulp. And so it was cheap. It was meant to be thrown away. It was meant to be read and thrown away. In many ways, we're living in a, in a version of that now because Amazon, you know, uh, has opened up the world for people to write shorter stories and things. So we're, we're kind of in that in, in a similar kind of time where uh, there's this one particular way to get into the business. And that was their way. But that's where the term came from. But what it has delineated into is it's just something that is a very sarcastic, a very hard, tough guy. A uh, hard-boiled kind of uh, guy who uses his fists, but he's got a code of honor. He's a he's a good guy, and even though he is rough and tough on the outside and comes across as this guy that maybe most people would run away from, deep down he's got a heart of gold, and he's always being drawn into helping people and saving people from some sort of dastardly evil. Sometimes he doesn't even want to get involved, and that's a, a key element of a lot of these stories is he, he just gets pulled into it just because he uh, it just sees somebody in trouble and he's like, I, I've, I've got to help this person. Or he even says to himself, I'm not going to help this person. I'm not going to do it. And then he ends up doing it. He ends up going in and fighting the bad guys, saving the girl and the true, being, hero, the true hero, you know, yeah, at, at his heart, whether he wants to be or not, that they have right. a reluctant hero in yeah. this case. Uh, we've got quite a few people watching and, and saying hi. Uh, Marilyn says, hi, guys. I just started reading Miami Chill. So I was late. So she got sucked into the book, which is great. Nice. Um, Ken Robbins says, Elmore Leonard. Great books. Yep, Fire in the Hole. Margaret Lashley's watching. So hi, Margaret. Um, hey. Thanks for saying hello. hello. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, commenting. For Feel free to ask questions of John, and I will relay them as best I can. Um, so so I think we have a good sense of the character um, of Titus. And also of kind of the genre he so you can equate him to almost like a jack reacher type or things like that but now as far as being the, the basic mold maybe but then now you've got him more specifically a de, you know in a detective novel where he's more of a he's actually solving real mysteries right and you've got it based in miami so what were yes. some of your choices for why does why that setting and why make it this mystery detective style story Sure. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Boston, and I uh, like I told you before, I was a big fan of the uh, Robert B. Parker Spencer novels, and I got hooked on those when I was in college like 30 years ago, and uh, I basically skipped classes with a Robert B. Parker book in my hand, 
In fact, this one right here, I often took uh, with me uh, on the uh, on the subway, and I went to the locations. I would actually go to these locations. I was so thrilled to be in Boston going to college, and I got hooked on 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 these books. So then I said, okay, you know, I've, I've always wanted to write this particular kind of story because I've always loved reading these these particular types of stories. And so I said, well, I should use Boston as uh, a backdrop because I live here. I know it inside and out. But I took a trip to Miami, um, what was 2014, 2015, and I just fell in love. I just fell in love with uh, just the ambiance, the atmosphere, the, the craziness. I had always been a fan of um, the um, Miami Vice movie with Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, which a lot of Miami Vice fans hate because it was not true to the original series. But I rewatched that movie and after my trip, and I was like, you know, this is where I need to set the the uh, books that I want to write. And mainly the reason I want to write them is just because I love them. I mean, I grew up reading this stuff. It was, to me, it wasn't a matter of finding a niche and learning about that niche. It was just knowing this niche inside and out just because I had read it myself for so many years. I was already there. I was already in touch with it. And uh, I mean, it's fallen in popularity, I guess maybe a little bit, uh, thrillers, big thrillers, uh, military thrillers, CIA, spy, espionage stuff is much more, I guess, mainstream, you might say right now. But I think there's always going to be a market for just the, the local general tough guy investigator uh, type story. And uh, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I love your covers. Um, they definitely have a great modern flair too. You don't look at this and think old timey detective novel. You think modern, cutting edge. Is that uh, Demanza? Who do you use? Uh, Tim Flanagan at Tim Flanagan. Novel Design Studio. Uh, he is amazing. He just he just knocked those covers out. Tim Flanagan, Novel Design Studio dot com. Uh, I I cannot sing his praises high enough. And he's quick. He just he just makes he's he's and he sees exactly what I tell him, and boom. Like that day or the next day, it's done and it's there and it's just and I and when he did that first one, I went, whoa! I was like, yes, that is it, and uh, I I boom approved. Let's do this. That's the reaction and, you want. That's how you yeah. know you landed a good designer. And I got a book bub that very day that I put the new cover up, which was the only book bub I've had, which was great. I was like, well, okay, this is obviously creating a little bit of an impact here. Yeah. So that was uh, that 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 really worked out well. Yeah, that's great. Nails the genre, and uh, you can't help but know what you're getting into, and it's it's perfect. I think it's fantastic. Nice. Um, so for writers who are interested in getting into this genre, obviously read a ton in the genre is always a key to understand really? the tropes, understand the the structure of these types of stories. Can you give us a few of the highlights of what oh, yeah. it's like to write in this genre? What are some things that you absolutely must do versus absolutely must not do? Sure. Well, your hero needs to be tough. I mean, he needs to be a really um, tough guy. And I mean, I, I, I'm i not saying that the main character can't be a woman. That's fine. I mean, if uh, and uh, I just write men. I know men because I am a man. And I, I tend to write for the male audience, even though I know there's a lot of women that read my books, too. So that's so that's great. But uh, good with his fists, good with guns, um, kind of like that uh, Mike Hammer, Mickey Spillane kind of guy who just isn't afraid to just start uh, punching away at something, which is not to say that it's, he's going to be doing that all the time. There's a lot of thinking involved as well. Uh, another trait would be um, sarcasm. Um, I write a lot of very 
uh, sarcastic scenes where people are throwing these banter lines um, against each other. And there's several different forms this can take, such as you've got the, the two friends uh, who are working together and they're ribbing each other and throwing barbs in each other's directions. In my case, it's uh, Titus and Luther, who is a, uh, a preacher, actually. And I, uh, it's sort of an inspiration from the Spencer and Hawk characters from the Spencer series. Uh, Hawk was this uh, bad guy who uh, did a lot of bad things, but deep down he, he always helped out Spencer, and Spencer never asked him too many questions about his background. But they just were constantly making fun of each other. Constantly, and, the, and the banter back and forth is what keeps people reading. And another kind of banter is the Bogey Bacall style of banter which I also include. I put that one especially in the second book in my series, Miami Chill. Uh, Titus is dating this uh, pop star. And uh, I gave her all of the uh, witty comeback uh, talent lines that Lauren Bacall would have had with Humphrey Bogart and all the movies they did together. So that basically when, it, when you read a scene with Titus and Renaya, it was, they were just ripping each other constantly. And uh, my readers seem to love this. So... I had uh, meant to have Titus stick with a one girlfriend, and I had I had written it from the beginning that he was going to get with this one girlfriend, Sophia. But with the second book, I sort of realized I need to maybe have him dabble in this uh, flirting banter kind of thing because it just made I just got so many uh, readers who just really love that. And uh, yes. the third kind is actually the uh, the gangster uh, tough guy banter. And that's when the gangster brings the private detective in. This happens in all the books. I call it the Joe Bras, which is a character from Spencer. And the, the private detective is brought into the gangster's office. And the gangster says, I want you to lay off what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the hero says something like, go jump in a lake or something. That's not very creative. I have better ones in my books. Can't think of one right now. Uh, yeah. But Titus has all these that he just, you know, drives back at the guy like, I'm, no, I'm not going to lay off. I'm, you know, go to hell. And if you want to kill me, then kill me. And uh, I even got a bad review. Uh, some some reader was like, uh, nobody in real life would ever do that. And I'm like, well, no, this is not real life. So this yeah, is this. I think it's great. And I think that dialogue is such a great tool in this hand because, yeah, you, got, you want your guy to be good with his fists. But we're reading a book, so right. there's only so much sparring we can see with fists, but we can read a lot of sparring and dialogue. And the yes. verbal sparring, especially with relationship stuff, is yep. fascinating, especially if you've got a style that yep. cuts, cuts through all the nonsense and gets straight to the punchy dialogue. It's, that, yes. That's why people love Delmar Leonard. It felt so realistic oh. and just like, you know, he always talks about he left out the parts, the boring parts that people would skip anyway. That's exactly how it goes with dialogue and having the punchy punchy stuff is fantastic um yeah. i know i read in your blog that you know tarantino was a big influence for you as far as um what other sort of films and stuff do you do you pull from and sort of the the the, the movie reel in your head as you're oh, writing these books in my head well there's this uh miami vice i mentioned already um pulp fiction and jackie brown are my two favorite quentin tarantino movies uh just because they are so heavy with the dialogue the dialogue is just so I could I even have them on an audio and I just play them sometimes just when I'm driving or something just because of the back and forth is just so amazing. And uh, so there were those two. There was this um, TV series Life on Mars, which was uh, it ran 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. 
And it was about a police officer who um, got hit by a car and he woke up in the year 1973 and he was a fish out of water in this alternate time zone. And I noticed that uh, I didn't even mean to use that as an inspiration, but Titus in Miami, Titus is from, is from Boston, like me. So I write the character as somebody who is in a completely foreign place and he's, you know, he's looking around at everything like, do people really do this here? I mean, is, it, is, that, is that normal for Miami over there? Because we don't have that in Boston and stuff like that. And the reason I, I started to do that was because I don't know Miami that well. I have to learn it. So I write it about the things I learn about it as I go there. And so I'm kind of like Titus in that way, too. So I, I didn't want to ever be accused of being inauthentic. So... I, I write the character as he doesn't he doesn't know a thing about Miami and he learns all these crazy things as he gets into all these adventures. And it's great as a vehicle for the reader. I love having an uninitiated main character because yeah. they're learning and, and viewing the world through your main character's eyes anyway. And right. let's face it, most of us don't live in Miami. So the few that do um, may be able to put a you know side eye to something, but yeah, we want to we want to learn too. This is half of why we read books in the first place is to experience exactly. new places and and have new adventures that we wouldn't have normally. So yes. I think it's a great way to have an outsider point of view. Absolutely. Um, Backing on that, uh, one of my uh, primary principles when I write is to bring the reader on a vacation. I want the reader to uh, go to a different place to get out of their life uh, to escape into this uh, exotic, I mean, Miami is not necessarily exotic, exotic, but it's exotic enough for most people like, uh, you know, that live in a very cold place. And uh, another series that I used to love was the Travis McGee series by John D. McDonald. And what I loved about that was it was set in Fort Lauderdale. The guy lived on a boat. And if whenever I wanted to take a trip to Florida, I didn't need to get on a plane. I just picked the John D. McDonald book off the shelf and read it, and I felt a little bit warmer in the cold New England winter. Yeah, I felt that way uh, with the Jimmy Buffett book one time. I was freezing my butt off, and I found this Meet Joe Merchant. I think I was working on planes at the time. I used to clean planes at the end of the day, and people would always leave their paperbacks in the seatbacks. I was yeah. working for Continental up in Rhode Island, New England, and we were just discussing before the show started about the, the, the rough New England winters. Yeah, and uh, I remember picking that book up. It was a little tattered, but it took me right out of you know Rhode Island and right to the Caribbean. And I was like, "Yep, yeah. all right, this is exactly what I needed." So nice. it's nice for you to provide that um, that service for us. So that's also a good tip. And I also liked your tip about um, listening to movie audio. I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, what are some? We of course just came from Novel Sync Conference. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about as far as tips and strategies. What are some? So what were some of the takeaways you had from this conference this year that you're going to start applying towards your writing or your marketing um, coming up? The biggest takeaway I think I got from it was that there's no one way to do everything for everybody, uh, that there's all different kinds of ways to do things. And But I think the one thing I got that really everybody should focus on, I would say, is audio. It seems that audio is the future. Uh, at least for now, that's 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 where things are headed, and I, and I currently have uh, audiobooks being produced, so those are in production right now, and I get a great voiceover uh, voice actor uh, mm -hmm. who's who's nailing it. He's hitting it, he's hitting a home run on that. So um, that was that was probably my, my my biggest takeaway, and the fact that uh, the more people you meet, the better. Uh, it was just a fantastic uh, conference, and uh, I know there were other things. Um, yeah. I can't well, think. Of 
it, it was it's an overwhelming it's like it's drinking from a fire hose when you go there there's so much exactly. stuff yeah but i think I'm the just... audio was one of my big takeaways too and um i actually just had lunch today with a reader who came to meet me and uh who drives trucks and i've had many people who have messaged me over the years and say hey when's your book coming out in audio because i'm a long haul trucker and yep. it's the only way that i read books so mm -hmm. and for those of us who don't listen i mean i listen to a lot of audio myself but for those of us who don't we think oh well that's just part of the market yeah but it's a big part of the market it's growing double digits every year so yep. and we're carrying these devices around with us every day that are capable of you know producing books in our ears so yeah i think it's smart that you're getting all this stuff done in, in audio and i think everyone who doesn't have audio should definitely jump on it absolutely and so I, I didn't jump into audio right away because of the cost that was involved. And I know that you can do the share uh, with ACX. I really didn't want to do that personally. I want to own and control all the rights to my work. And I know that there have been a handful of horror stories, not too many, of people who can't pull their books out because the other person does not agree to uh, to, to uh, let it go. And, yeah. but so, you know, I just figured, I just like control. I just like to be in control of what it is I do. So I, I waited until I was able to afford not only to have it done so that I could pay for the whole thing, but also that I could uh, pick and choose uh, who I wanted to do it. Cause I went through a ton of auditions, uh, but there was this, this one guy that I just heard his voice and I was like, he was a little bit more expensive and, mm -hmm. but I heard his voice and the characters he does. And I'm like, Oh, that's the guy. Yeah. That's Titus. 100%. I could, couldn't agree more. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would say 100%. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more with, with the value of that. And um, like I said, I've, I've had um, a great experience with, with ACX, but I, I definitely recommend not doing royalty share, especially on a book one, because you're going to spend so much time and so much advertising, putting money into it that you're going to be giving away half your profits to a narrator for seven years. And then after that, which I didn't realize when I did it, when I signed up, I, I thought the rights just automatically reverted to me. The rights to the material do, but not to the narration. The narration stays with the narrator, so you have to actually buy it again, basically, at the end of the seven years, which I had no idea. And um, I made that blunder myself. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely go audio, make the investment. That's That was definitely a big takeaway for me, too, um, from Nink. Um so I want to talk, one of the things that I noticed that you did at Nink was you dressed the part, which I want to talk a little bit about your choice to sort of live your brand and how that has um, grown. How, how'd you come to that conclusion and where are you going with that? To tell you the truth, it wasn't really a plan. It was just something fun that I kind of wanted to do. I, uh, I, I just was growing my hair out a little longer and I, uh, just said, well, you know, I'm going to Florida the, uh, for the main conference. It's in, it's in uh, St. Pete Beach, which is an amazing place. And I figured, why not just uh, do a little uh, Don Johnson with the uh, with these uh, Henley shirts, pastels, all pastels, and the uh, unstructured linen blazers and linen pants that don't quite match and the boat shoes. And I just did it. And, I mean, do I think that it actually – uh, didn't anything besides make me look like a complete idiot? No, but <laughs> uh, I, I think it was a good look. I mean, it was the first time I met you, and yeah. I now associate that vibe with you. Oh. So, well, it, you I know, think it's, it's a win-win. It was it was Florida appropriate. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, around here, people look at me like, 
what are you wearing? You know, it's, yeah. it just doesn't, it just doesn't work around here. I don't wear it around here, but uh, except for today with this interview. Yeah. Uh, but, but down there, yeah, I felt kind of at home. I felt like eh, it's no big deal. Yeah, pro- you know, so what? You dress like Don Johnson, big big freaking deal. Yeah. No, I think yeah. I think uh, of course people in Boston dress really well, so it's hard to compete up there. I, I go up there in the winter time. I remember yeah. um, I took a group of, of Florida teenagers up. Uh, up north one time for the winter and of course kids from florida are all wearing like 13 colors of different kinds of jackets because they're basically putting on every winter piece of clothing that they own um <laughs> just to go up north because they don't we don't buy jet we don't buy coats you know it's not like we, we own a pea coat down here um right. but it's just up there you're like you're dressed for the winter for five months you know you gotta you gotta dress well eight yeah sometimes seven or eight yeah till april at least um yeah. marilyn says ah oh, yes you do look like don johnson Ah, well, thank so you. That's a compliment. Um, so yeah, um, but I thought it was an interesting move in terms of branding, in that we have to be a persona on top of being ourselves. And sometimes, if the brand of your books is not necessarily your natural persona, it can pay off to embody that persona at least online. Absolutely, I, I agree completely. And there were some guys down there too who were uh, doing the Jimmy Buffett look. Uh, they write the tropical mysteries with uh, lots of boats and seaplanes and stuff like that and those guys they had the flowered shirts and the shorts and the panama hats and they look great too and that and that's that's their niche mine is more land-based in in miami so i figured i would i would do that there were science fiction characters there and and they were great it's like you know uh there were a couple uh characters that i was like wow you are living your brand that is that's awesome and guess what that person stands out everybody is going to remember that person because they're going to say, well, what, what character is this person dressed up as? They're going to look up their book. They might actually buy the book. Yeah. But it's it's all marketing, branding, and every little bit helps, I guess. Depends on the conference you go to. Because like some, especially, I imagine, like 20 books to 50K, because that would be even more so. Um, right. Nink right. is obviously a very professional high level, so you don't necessarily see it too much there. Right. But it's, it, again, you stand out. And you yeah. people remember you. And then yeah. they want to talk to you later. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think it's an interesting choice, and I think that it's. Um, uh, I also want to talk to you about how do you bring people. I know you have a, a group online or a newsletter, of course. And uh, tell me about the Meridian Breeze Lounge. What's that? What's that about? That's just my newsletter. Uh, I just figured instead of just having the Titus newsletter, I thought I'd just come up with a, an interesting name, and so it's the Meridian Breeze Lounge, and I have this picture that I took myself of Collins Ave in Miami, and uh, I start off every newsletter by, uh, well, I used to when I started. I said, well, what can I pour for you? I'm your bartender. What are you drinking? And then I would go into the newsletter. I haven't done that in the past few, but at the end of the newsletter, I just write, your bartender, John. And it's just, uh, I guess it's um, just a more friendly, funny way to uh, to uh, write a newsletter. Mm-hmm. And my newsletters are all over the place. Uh, I don't, I'm, I always say I'm going to do them every two weeks, but I, I tend not to. I, it tends to be one every month or every two months. Uh, but usually it's when I'm moved, when something moves me that I want to share with my readers, that's usually when I write one. And it's... It's kind of like I see um, I see a lot of authors they're they're looking for ideas and I probably should be more like that I pro- because I did go to this fantastic um, 
a session at Nink that talked about this. And really, we should be doing newsletters every every two weeks. So that is actually a resolution that I have to work on is uh, is is getting that out every two weeks, even if it's just a a quick hello and uh, some little update about the new book. Yeah, I'm I'm bad about that too, too. And I'll I'll go a whole month. I'm usually a one month uh, one time a month person in myself, but I would love to be faster. Um, how often do you release? What's your um, publishing schedule like? I am the slowest writer uh, on planet Earth. Uh, I I try to uh, to write faster, and that is my one of my biggest issues. Is is really just um, like my my first book took me six months. The second one took me eight months. The third one took me ten months. That is not a good trend. Uh, so I, I need to. I'm I'm currently working on the fourth one. It is actually flowing a little bit more. So I'm looking at the beginning of, of next year to get it out. But I'm also working on the audiobooks, and so I, the way I'm sort of visualizing everything is I'm relaunching the business starting at the beginning of the year, um, and with you know with the audiobooks, with everything all set, and then so when the when the fourth book comes out, I'll have everything all lined up with audiobooks one, two, three, four, and then just you know treat it like I'm I'm just like this is day one. I'm just I'm just restarting, taking all the money I made so far and reinvesting it by going to Nink and by getting the um, audiobooks produced. And uh, it's like a lot of people ask, I see it in, in, in groups all the time, my first book isn't making any money. And it's like, right, your first book isn't really supposed to make any money. That's not how it works. You've got to write the second book and the third book and then take every little, every penny really that you can get and reinvest it somehow, whether it be in audio or whether it be in advertising, and just try to get that up. And then at some point you can sit back and you can say, you can say, is this working? And if it if it isn't, you know, maybe you might want to write a different series. If it is working though, as it has for me, uh, it's I think it's time to sort of just have this sort of relaunch uh, viewpoint that I'm I'm looking forward for 2020 for maybe January or February. I think that's good advice. I, I was kind of equated to trying to sit on a stool with one leg. Like, it's, is it possible? Maybe. Yeah. Is it better with two? Is it much better with three? You know, mm. like, you're comfortable once you've got the third leg, whether that's audio or marketing. Like, whatever your legs of your stool are, you've got to yep. get them all in place before you really have a stable income and a stable lifestyle. Um, exactly. But a lot of people, yeah, are just trying to do with one thing. They just do one thing and want that one thing to work. I'm like, eh, right. build the other legs of your stool first. I knew from the beginning that my first book wasn't going to go anywhere. I planned on it. I knew it because I had read enough to know that when you write the first in a series, you really uh, you just got to get that second one out there. I could have waited. I know some authors do that. They they wait. They write three and they put out one, two, three. I was just too impatient. I wanted to get something out there, and I pretty much gave the first book away for free for almost an entire year. I mean, I just I kept it at ninety nine cents, and I did constant constant promotions just to just to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. And I think that really helped as well. That was very similar to my story. I, I write a, a book a year. Um, so I'm you know slower than you, who is self-professed slowest writer in the world. I'm much slower. And we're actually very fast compared to the traditional uh, market. That's true. So, um, That's true. But I, again, I did the same thing. I gave away my first book free for a long time, just really just... Because you want readers in the funnel. Doesn't there's no yep. point in having books two and three if there's no readers in the funnel? Get them in the funnel by getting um, open up that the floodgates, you know, early, and yep. then kickstart your career. Uh, yep. Then later on, when you've got more books out, yeah, then you can 
play around with your pricing and because you need readers far more than you need money in the beginning and then exactly. well you should anyway if you're if you're focusing on the right goals but uh yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's solid advice yep um so i know you have the newsletter uh, any other fun places for people to hang out with you online where if people want to get in touch with you and contact you uh, just my Facebook page, which is uh, John D. Patton Books. Uh, and other than that, um, I have a website, uh, www.johndpattonbooks.com. Or no, it's just, no, just www.johndpatton.com. I, I put a link in the comments, so if anyone's watching, they can, okay, just, great. They can scroll down Fantastic. the comments. Got, it's already there. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. And uh, Amazon, obviously, just uh, type in uh, Miami Burn to Amazon and... Uh, you get the first book in the series right there, and uh, it's a grease slide there because once you start reading, you're not going to be able to stop. All right, that's a, that's a nice promise. All right, so uh, I know we've wrapped up, to, or we're going to need to wrap up because we blazed through our half hour as expected. Um, yep. John, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share your knowledge with us. This was this was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, it's been an honor, a privilege. Uh, it's always fun talking with you, and hope to do it again. And uh, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I'd love to, love to have you on again in the future. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching and listening, and we'll be back again uh, next week for another episode. So long. Thanks, everyone.